Hello. Thank you. All right, let's just start with prayer. All right, dear God, we just ask that you would just reside in this space this morning. Lord, I just pray that your words would be spoken as I share this morning and read out of um, the Bible. Lord, I just pray that you would speak to every single heart, Lord God, that you would speak to where everyone's at this morning. I pray that you would give us ears to hear and hearts to hear your word. So Lord, we just give you all the praise and all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, we're going to start by reading a passage. So if you've got your Bibles or phones or iPads or whatever, can you turn to 1 John 4, verses 7 to 12? So it's 1 John 4, verse 7. This is a verse that uh, Ben mentioned last week, and I wanted to pick up on it again. So it says, Dear friends, let us love one another. For love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us, and his love is made complete in us. Last week, Ben shared, apparently didn't preach, but shared (laughs) with us um, a few things, but I wanted to pick up on a couple of points that he left with us at at the end of his message. Ben talked about how loving each other reveals the face of God, and it's how we see the face of God on this earth. One of the things that I really loved that he said was that the wisdom of God was to create family so that we'd collide with each other's nuances. And it's only in the context of community that everyone gets the chance to tell their story in a family, as if you're around the dinner table. And we need to hear both sides of the story, victory stories and failure stories. It's how we get to be the church to one another. So as Alicia was sharing this morning, you know, as you sit around the dinner table, you get to be real vulnerable with one another. And I guess this is a space where we get to be family to one another um, and we get to all, you know, do life with one another where we probably, some of us wouldn't interact on a normal day-to-day basis because of our occupations or what we do. Um, But we get to enjoy each other's company and learn from one another. And so today I wanted to preach on loving like a family should love. So that's my title, loving like a family should love. There's been a lot of talk on family this morning alone, which is, you know, pretty cool. Obviously the Holy Spirit's doing his thing. Um, But yeah, I think the word family can have all sorts of meanings for different people depending on where you've come from. For me, um, as some of you may know, last year I lost two very important people in my family. Um, At the start of 2017, I was excited about my year. I thought 2017 is going to be my year. I do this little thing at the start of the year and I I ask God to speak and kind of prophesy over myself. And some of the, the things that I wrote down that I felt like God was saying indicated to me that it was going to be an incredible year. Obviously, I was reading it or hearing it with the filter that I wanted to hear. 
And then in April of 2017, my mum, out of the blue, unexpectedly passed away. And it was absolutely heartbreaking. Um, my mum and I were very close and, you know, I considered her one of my best friends. So to have lost her was really, really hard. And I, I didn't really know what to do with that or how to place that um, in my world. And then unfortunately, ten and a half weeks later, my dad passed away. And I can't even describe to you the, the pain that I felt and the heartbreak that I felt in those moments. It's hard enough losing one parent, as some of you may know, and then losing two parents is hard, but all in the space of ten and a half weeks is incredibly difficult. I lost my only, well, pretty much my only family in Melbourne. So it was mum and I in Melbourne and the rest of our family live in Sydney, my brother included. So when mum passed away, I, I never felt more alone. Um, you know, we grew up um, for the most part in Melbourne and my brother, my mum and I were quite happy, you know, doing family life and you kind of get used to whatever you've got. So you make do. And I was like, well, I don't really know the rest of my extended family. I don't, I don't really know what a, you know, big family looks like. But I do have a family. And it's the three of us, like the three musketeers. We can get through anything. And then my brother moved to Sydney with his wife and kids. So it was mum and I. And we'd, you know, I'd visit her once a week and, you know, we'd spend time together. And I was like, it's, it's a family, you know, and we'd join other families for Christmas or whatever, but it was still my family. When mum passed away, all of a sudden I felt really alone, despite having people in my world, a lot of you guys being those people. Um, I would have given absolutely anything to bring my mum back. For me, it was like no amount of money or stuff or, you know, memorable items or whatever it was, like, you could have said, give me a million dollars, and if I didn't have a million dollars, I would have given you a million dollars. I would have found a million dollars to have her back. I didn't care about the stuff. I didn't care about money. I just wanted her here with me. And for me, it was like, I, 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 don't, I don't even want anyone else to try and be family. I just want my family. But this obviously wasn't an option. It was in this moment of tragedy that I got to see the real effect of what the church should look like and how family motivated by love can really help heal our broken wounds. When my mum passed away, this church family banded together in such an incredible way. I was given literally a month worth of meals, hot meals delivered to my front door every single day, obviously helped with one of my housemates who, you know, got everyone organised and got people together. But honestly, like, that was incredible. And then on my 30th birthday, everyone was super generous and gave me all these gifts and all this stuff. And people were like, I'm here for you if you need me and all of that. But again, it was just stuff. And in the moment, I was really grateful. Don't hear what I'm not saying. It was, it was honestly, it was incredible. But I was like, I still feel incredibly alone. Why do I feel incredibly alone? The first point I want to make today is that we need to love one another by the Spirit. So we're going to have three points today. First point, we need to love one another by the Spirit. 
So if we go back to 1 John 4, 7, it says, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. So it's not some deep down thing that we have to try and muster up in us. It comes from God. God's the one that is love. He's the one that dwells in us, if we've accepted Jesus or God into our hearts. And that love that we show other people, it comes from him. It says, since God so loved us, we ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. So it's God's love for us that is love. He sent his son for us. And this son that he sent to the world to die on our behalf was how he showed his love for us. When I lost my parents, I understood that passage so much more. Because when you lose someone who's so close to you, it's incredibly devastating. It's incredibly hard. No amount of stuff can fill that void. And so when I read that passage that God chose to send his son to die, as a parent, I, I mean, I'm not a parent, but I can only imagine that as a parent, that would be the most incredibly difficult thing. If you've ever lost anyone in your life, Like, words can't even describe the pain that you feel. But God did that for us so that we could receive freedom. So that his son would pay the debt on our behalf. Someone had to pay the debt. And his son, Jesus, paid the debt for us. God sent his son in our place. And that is what the scripture says is love. We are called to love one another. Does that mean that we are to die for one another physically? No. But in some ways, yes, we're to die to our flesh, die to ourself, die to our entitlements, die to some of those things that make us feel like I'm entitled to my time, my space, my money. I'll do my thing and out of the excess that I might have, then I'll love out of that. That's not love. That's self-preservation. That's not what the Bible's talking about. How do we love those that are difficult to love, those people that are so infuriating? The best of us have those people in our world. How do we do that? Dying to the flesh is how we do that. Dying to the flesh is dying to that selfish unction that we have to self-preserve and to only give when it doesn't come at a cost. Dying to the flesh means being long-suffering and kind, not envying others or parading ourselves in front of others. In 1 Corinthians 13, 4 to 8, it says, It does not behave rudely. It does not seek its own. It is not provoked, it thinks no evil, it does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth, it bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things, love never fails. How does love never fail if we're human? We all fail as humans, right? However, we do it with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the one that teaches us how to love. 
In John 15:13 it says greater love has no man than this than to lay down one's life for his friends. It's not possible to do these things in our own strength. But in Galatians 5 it talks about how love is a fruit of the spirit. The fruits of the spirit are love, joy, peace, Patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So we produce that fruit by walking with the Spirit. By being led by the Spirit, we're not under the law, but also we don't gratify the sinful desires of the flesh. So those things in us that make us want to do the wrong thing, the things that potentially make us feel like we're disqualified from this church community or this church family, But if we walk with the Spirit, if we allow the Spirit to walk with us and to motivate us, and even if we stuff up, it's okay. But as we allow the Spirit to move through us, we start to produce fruit. And the more we allow Him to speak to us and teach us, we start to display these fruits of the Spirit that we see in Galatians 5. For me, before my parents passed away, I honestly... It's probably very prideful to say, but I was like, you know what? Self-control is not something I struggle with. Anger, not really something I struggle with. I'm, you know, I'm cool. I'm calm. I'm collected. Dramatic, yes. Loud, yes. But honestly, self-control, I was like, yeah, I'm pretty self-controlled. I read my Bible. I've done DMS. I'm a DMS leader. I'm, you know, running kids' life. Everything's amazing. But the reality hits when we're hard-pressed on every side perplexed, persecuted, and struck down. That's from 2 Corinthians 4, verse 8 to 12, if you want to know. When life is hard, and when we have a deep sense of loneliness, if you don't have a partner to be by your side every waking moment of the day, I know that's not always reality, but if we don't have any of those things, when life is really difficult and you feel hard-pressed, when you feel like work is frustrating, when you feel like the people in your world are creating more drama than necessary, when you feel like you can't do this anymore, do those Christian sayings that we say to one another, do they actually mean anything? Pray about it? Trust in God? Do they? The answer is yes, just for the record. However, just those sayings in, their, in themselves without actually trusting in God and relying on God and without prayer, they're merely just sayings and things that we sometimes, to be perfectly honest, just say to one another because we don't know what else to say. But it's when we're hard-pressed on every side, perplexed, persecuted, struck down, this is when we have an opportunity to really see if we believe what we actually talk about. I had in previous years, you know, I had my own different difficulties, but I, I in previous years had learnt how to just press into God and how to let him just wash over me and take everything to him and let him be my strength, let him be my all. I honestly had learnt how to do that. So in this season, I was like, cool, I'm going to retreat. I'm going to go into my little space, go into my room. I'll pray. No one else needs to come in. I'll just do my thing and I'll just trust in God. God was teaching me something different this time. Not something that I wanted to learn, just for the record. 
I was, I was happy to just have it, me and God, and we just, we just do our thing and we coast along. But he was teaching me how to be family to others, but also how to receive family. But I was like, how do I do that? I mean, family's made up of a whole bunch of humans that stuff up and they hurt us. And the easiest thing is not to allow that family into our world because they're probably going to hurt us anyway because that's my experience of family. So if you just don't let them in, right, then they can't hurt you, right? Yes, Hannah. (laughs) Have you heard those sentences come from my mouth? It was harder than I thought to allow people into my life. But the thing is, God placed us into a family, yes, blood family, but also into a family of believers. Ben mentioned last week that it was way back in Genesis that God set the design of family. And throughout the Word, the Word of God, that we see this pattern that God wants us to be in families. When we're born again, we're born into a family. Whether you like it or not, we're born into a family. That makes you and I brothers and sisters. Sorry about that. Families are made, of human, made up of human beings that do disappoint one another, that do fail one another, but all learn together, grow together, support one another, Love one another, even when it hurts. For some of you who have siblings or family members that you're super close to, that's awesome. Think about if someone was hurting that sibling, what do you want to do to that person? Don't tell me, I don't want to know. But we all kind of, when it's a family member, all of a sudden something rises up in us and we're like, I want to, I want to stand up for that person. I want, to, I want to make sure that they don't touch my family. You can, you can do whatever you want to a friend of mine, but don't dare touch my family. Do we do that for one another as if we are actually family? We talk about the church being a family, but do you actually stand up for somebody if someone is attacking a brother or sister in Christ? We believe this lie in the 21st century that if we don't take care of ourselves, no one else is going to take care of us. I got to look after me. Me will look after me. In some ways it's true. But also if we don't allow people into our world to care for us and to support us and to love us, we're really missing out on something. And the protection that you can do for yourself is only one man protecting oneself. But if you have a community and a body of people that can stand up for you, that can stand with you, how much more protected are you going to be? Which brings me to my second point. Let God be the judge and allow people to love us the way we ought to be loved. Let God be the judge and allow people to love us the way we ought to be loved. So my first point was love one another by the Spirit. And the second one was let God be the judge and allow people to love us the way we ought to be loved. I've never really had a huge problem loving people. Maybe it's my personality. Grace is probably something that I give very freely. 
But in terms of allowing other people to love me, if I'm perfectly honest, I'll let you love me to a certain point. And then I'll push back a little bit if you're getting too close. This last 12 months or 18 months, I was actually called out on this by a couple of people. As lovely as that feels, I'm actually really glad that those people... And it's... I'm not even saying, like, 12 months ago. I'm saying, like, weeks ago. So this is something that I'm still learning. So me preaching here is not because I've mastered all of these things. These are things that I'm still learning and will continue to learn in, just to clarify. So I'm not standing up here judging any of you guys. This is stuff that is very real in my world. But I got called out on not allowing other people to love me. I was actually offended when people would say that to me. I was like, how dare you say that? I am letting people love me. I didn't judge other people's life choices. Do what you want. That's your problem. I love them despite all circumstances. You could probably, you know, treat me like rubbish time and time again and I'd probably come back and still love you and be like, oh, it's all right. Show you lots of love. Show you grace. But the thing is, I judged people in a whole different way. I judged people's judgments of me. I was worried about what Hannah might think about me. Is that still judgment? Yeah. I might not judge what Hannah does, but I'm judging her judging me, therefore I'm still judging her. I didn't see that as judgment. I didn't even recognize that that was judgment because I love people no matter what they do. So I'm like, well, that's not, you know, I don't judge anyone. But actually I was judging everyone. I was judging people's judgments of me. And the moment that I realised that was when I was in Jakarta in January. We, a bunch of us went to Jakarta to help out with DMS. And we were there and we were sitting in a session and Di's pre- preaching on judgment. And I'm taking all these notes thinking this is awesome. And, and all of a sudden I'm like, oh, I don't feel good. I feel like... Oh, I'm not... You know, and Di's like, everyone, you know, go and take some time, pray, and then you can go and pray with one another. And I still was like, oh, I still feel like something's not right. And so Di was like, you go and pray with Abby and everyone else. You can go pray for other people. And what God did in that moment was he set me free from judgment that was in my heart. But at the time, I didn't know that I had that there, but it was so deeply rooted and so deeply entrenched in every area of my life. And it was just in that moment that God decided to highlight it to me. The thing was, the way that he highlighted it to me meant that I was so embarrassed that I was there to do DMS. I was there to be a leader. I was there to help other people get free. I was there to help other people with their stuff. And not saying that I didn't have stuff. I knew that I had stuff. But I didn't think I had that kind of stuff. And, well, I wasn't set free in the most quiet way (laughs) for anyone that was there. And it was probably the loudest, most extreme version of being set free that you could have. And I was there as a leader. And everyone saw that this leader was the one that was over in the corner making all the noise. So, you know, awesome, great. We go back to our hotel. We go to sleep come back the next day and I walked in and I literally was like, 
so embarrassed. I was like, oh my gosh, everyone that's seeing me, they're judging me. They're all judging me because of the stuff that's in my heart and they don't know what it was. I want to tell everyone what was going on in me because they need to know that it wasn't anything like super like intense, but they don't know what it was. So I have to explain it to them so that they don't judge me on, you know, all the stuff that they think is in my heart. And how can I help somebody get set free if, if I've got all this stuff in my heart and they probably think that I've got all this other stuff that's in my heart and And... Then all of a sudden I was like, it was judgment that God removed from my heart. But what did the enemy want to do to me after I'd been set free? He wanted me to walk right back into that place of judgment. That I would then walk back into that place of judgment and go, you're judging me. 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 And where am I? Back in the judgment seat. It's not my place to be in the judgment seat. It's not our place. And so all of a sudden I had this revelation that I'd placed myself in the judgment seat. But the judgment seat, it belongs to God. And he sent his son to die on that cross so that we didn't have to bear the punishment for our sins. But Jesus took it upon himself and he took it to the cross. Once we repent, wholeheartedly, once we come before him and repent of our sins, he forgives us and forgets, of it, forgets all of our sins. So who are we to judge somebody else? I had this incredible moment with God where he set me free from judgment. Who cares if somebody else is judging me? That's their problem. It's not my problem. So in Hebrews 8.12 and Hebrews 10.17, it talks about how he forgives us of our sins and forgets our sins. Absolutely, the Holy Spirit convicts us. And it absolutely is our job to come before God and repent of what we've done. And then we leave it at the cross. We give it to God and we leave it at the cross. And we don't allow the enemy to put us back in that place. Because if we walk back in that, then we've got the judgment, then we've got the shame then we're starting to hide things in our lives and cover things up. Then we see failure. Then we see disappointment. Then we see that we're just never going to make it and we're never going to be set free from it. And did God really set me free from that? Because I don't know. Maybe he didn't set me free from that. Maybe it was just in my head. Maybe he doesn't actually set people free. Oh, we're on a very, very scary spiral. He is the one that teaches us how to bear fruit. He is the one that disciples us. He is the one that shows us grace and love so that we can show the same to others. In Philippians 2, there's a writer of Philippians 2. His name's Paul. Paul, probably in his earlier years, should have been disqualified from church, if you like, the way that some of us might feel. Paul was a disciple of Jesus. Paul suffered persecution. He set aside his life and was dedicated to preaching about Jesus. But Paul didn't grow up as a believer. He was a man who in the earlier years of his life, when he went by the name Saul, was in, he imprisoned and persecuted Christians for their faith. He was a man who didn't deserve the grace of God. 
He was a man who had a reputation. We can see it in Acts 9. He was a man that literally any one of us, he would have imprisoned us. He would have persecuted us. How could this same man be the man that writes books in our Bible? He was a man that God wanted to use. In Acts 9, we see a story of this man named Ananias who knows Saul's reputation and God asks him to go and heal Saul. And his natural instinct is to be like, this man, really? But he obeys God and he goes to Saul and he heals Saul. Obviously, with with God, it's not him. Yeah, God heals him. But Ananias does it out of obedience. And then Saul was introduced to the disciples. The disciples had every right, really, to judge Saul. They knew his reputation. Why should this man hang out with us? Saul didn't sit in who he was or what he'd done and miss out on doing great things for God. He had a choice. Yes, Saul, when he went by the name Paul, he was extreme, he was loud, my favourite kind. He was dramatic. He was overtly preaching the word of God. And... He, he did all of these things, but he still had a choice. How many times do we sit in our own failures? How many times do we say, I'm not good enough? You don't know. If only you knew what was in my heart. If only you knew my story. If only you understood the pain that I've walked through, the pain of how other people have hurt me. If you, only you knew. This man, he had a reputation. But he didn't walk in that. He went on to teach the church through his writings about who we are and who we should be as Christians. He was probably more qualified to talk about this because of his experiences. He was a man who had lived experience. He knew what it, what it was to fail. He knew what it was to have the biggest failures. He knew what it was to be on the other side of the fence. He was a man who knew what it would take to really be the church to the world. Let's turn to Philippians 2, verses 1, and we're going to read through to 11. So Philippians 2, verse 1, and we're going to read through to verse 11. It talks here about how we are to imitate Christ's humility. It says, Therefore, If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being in one spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, rather in humility Value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, self-preservation, but each of you to the interests of others, the person on your left, the person on your right, the person in your world that frustrates you. 
in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Jesus, who being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. He was God. He was God himself. Yet he didn't use this as a way to get ahead. That's not the way of the world. We leverage off other people's failures or weaknesses to get ahead. He didn't do that. He held the highest position. There's no one higher than God. Rather, verse 7, rather he made himself nothing. He chose to lower himself. He was God and he chose to lower himself to nothing by taking the very nature of a servant. A servant is like the lowest of lows. He was God. He made himself nothing and then he lowered himself to a level of a servant. Why would someone choose to be a servant when you've got the title of God? Verse 7. He took on the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as as a man. He humbled himself by being obedient to death. So he was God. He chooses to make himself nothing. He takes on the nature of a servant. He takes on the appearance of a man. He humbles himself and he becomes obedient to death. Even death on a cross. Death on a cross to the Romans was the death of a criminal. Death on a cross to the Jews was a cursed death. How would you choose to do that? This guy claims to be the Messiah. He chose to die on this cross, this shameful death. Why? For you, for me, for us. He humbled himself through obedience. He lowered himself for us because he loved us. Every single one of us. I don't know where you're at. I don't know where you've come from. I care, but also it doesn't matter. Because Jesus loved us. He loved me in all my failings. He loves you in spite of all of your failings. Verse 9. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place. Because of his humility, God elevated him. So he took him from the lowest of low places and he elevated him. He gave him the name that is above every name. What name is that? Jesus. The name of Jesus, at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow. And in in heaven and on earth and under the earth. That's every knee and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus lowered himself in humility, but God exalted him. My third point is this. Value others above yourself, walk in humility, and serve one another. It's a long point, sorry. If you're writing it down, value others above yourself, walk in humility, and serve one another. So we've got love one another by the Spirit. Number two, let God be the judge and allow people to love us the way we ought to be loved. And number three, value others above yourself. 
walk in humility and love one another. And serve one another, sorry. Because of Jesus' humility, he was exalted. It's not why he did it. That's just what God did. We love others by serving others above ourselves. We saw it in that scripture. That's what it says to do. It would have taken supernatural strength for Jesus to go to the cross. He took on the sin of the world. That's pretty heavy. I can't even imagine what that would have felt like. I'm not even going to pretend. It's pretty heavy. How do we feel when we stuff up? How do we feel when we failed? Yet he took on all of our failures, all of our sin. He took that on himself. I don't know what that would feel like, but it would be pretty heavy. Then he died. He died for us. We instinctively, as people, you know, if there's a truck coming towards you, you're going to run out of the way, generally speaking. So we instinctively don't, as a general rule, stand in front of the truck. But he chose to die on that cross for us. We can surely make choices to serve those around us if he could make the choice to die for us on that cross. We can surely choose to sacrifice a little bit, to hurt a little bit for others. What happens if they hurt us back? Do we just recoil and push people away? Can we love unconditionally? We can choose to do that. We do it because Christ loved us. The reward of seeing people draw closer to God through our love for them is incredible. We don't do it because of the reward, but it is one of the most life-enriching things to see somebody grow and mature in the things of God. When we display the love of God to others, it should be pushing them closer to God. It should be giving them an understanding of who God is. The relationships that we invest in should produce life. When we add God to our relationships and friendships, it should always grow. I'm going to call the music team up. I'm going to share a couple of last things. In 2017, I couldn't have gotten through it without my church family. I had church family hold my hand, but not everyone got to see those moments. Not everyone got to see me in my moments where I couldn't pull myself out of the darkness that I felt, but I did have people around me. Yet, all of a sudden, I still felt really alone. I felt really isolated, even though there were all these people around me. And I did push people away, but these same people chose to love me, even if it was going to take 10 years for that grief to pass. Those people said to me, I don't care how long it takes. I don't care what you do. You can't say anything or push me away to get rid of me. I'm going to love you in spite of any of those things. I'm here with you. We're family. That's what family do. These people did that. They stood with me. They still stand with me. And we rejoice with one another when you go through triumphs. 
It's not just about all those sad moments, but when you, you get to a point where you can stand up in front of people and tell people about the grief that you've been through, you rejoice with one another. Those same people rejoiced with me when things were good, but wept with me when things were hard. That is family. They just simply loved because that's what they were called to do. Not because they got anything out of it. I can tell you they didn't get anything out of it. In my mind, anyway. But I struggled to accept this love. And at times I honestly remember thinking there's still no one there for me. Where is, I don't know what I need, but I need something to fill that space. And God did fill that space, but I also needed people to walk with me. The issue wasn't them. The issue was me. I needed to allow those people in. Those people who were willing to love without condition. We need to be a family to those around us. Whether you understand what family should look like or not. If you don't understand what family looks like, that's okay. You ask God to teach you and to show you with the love of people around you. If you do understand what a good family looks like, no family is perfect, but if you do understand what family is about and how it should look, show that to other people because there's people that need it. And those people that push away, push you away, love them even harder. And eventually they'll get it. And even if they don't, love them still. Because that's what God calls us to do. Don't invest to get a return. Invest out of love. It's time that we as the church started to really love without condition, without judgment, and by following the voice of the Holy Spirit. Investing in people is hard work. It can be hard work. People hurt us. But it's what we're called to do. So today I want us, myself included, to really make an investment, to really invest in people around us, to love even if it hurts, to really show people what it is like to be part of a family. I want everyone to close their eyes and bow their heads. And I want us to really ask the Holy Spirit whether we've been loving people sacrificially. Have we been loving people that the Holy Spirit directs us to love even when we know that there's nothing to gain from it? I want you to ask, I'm going to ask the Holy Spirit too. I want us to all ask the Holy Spirit who does He want us to pour out love upon? For some of us, it might require an apology to someone for not loving them as we should. For some of us, it might require forgiveness, forgiving ourselves, forgiving other people. For some of us, it might require a bit more effort on our part. For some of us, we're just at the beginning and need to learn how to love and be part of a family. For some of us, it's asking God to increase our capacity because we just don't know how.
and that's okay. I want you to ask the Holy Spirit whether we've made judgments about people's judgments of us. Have we judged other people judging us? Have we judged their motivation and blocked them from loving us? Are there people or circumstances that you can think of? I, you know, I remember I was shocked when I stopped and actually asked the Holy Spirit, who have I judged for judging me? And face after face, name after name came to my head. We'll have an opportunity to to worship and, and just bring this before God. You know, this is the time that we repent and we take this before God and we ask Him to forgive us and for His help in how to change our old patterns and our patterns of behavior. I want you to ask the Holy Spirit if you have the same mindset as Christ in your relationships, in my relationships. I'm going to ask Him to in our relationships with one another. The gospel is a good one to read if, it, if it's been a while. We can read about in the gospels how Jesus lived his life and how he related with people. He is the ultimate model of how we should love one another. And one last thing. If you've heard this message and you've, you've heard all these things about how the church is meant to be family to one another, but you don't even know who Jesus is, This is your moment to come before him and and meet this incredible man. So as we worship, I want you to, if if anyone wants to come up the front, you can come up the front, but you can stay in your seat as well. If you want to repent or any of these things, we're all going to spend time worshiping and just really allow God to speak to us. If you want prayer, you can come up the front and and be prayed for by some of our leaders. And if you want to accept Jesus into your heart, you can come up the front too. No one's going to know why you're coming up the front. It's not about that. It's about really coming before God and allowing Him into our hearts and our lives. We're here as family to support one another. Let's worship. You can all stand. If you wish, when the oceans rise.